name is Norbert. Welcome to Point of Grace Church. If this is your first time, I'd like to welcome you as well to the family. We are a small church with a big heart, and I trust that you will feel that today and amongst us. We are still doing the series on the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible. It talks about last things. It's, it's becoming more complex. The more I study this, the more I feel like I'm, I'm Alice in the Wonderland going down the rabbit hole because it's becoming dark and complex. Last week we talked about the dragon. If you were here, it's about the dragon. Today, we are going to talk about the beast and 666. It's kind of scary, but this is chapter 13 of the book of Revelation. Uh, the number 666 is almost a household name that almost everyone knows about this one. Have you ever been invited to a wedding that falls on Friday the 13th? Anyone? No? You want to, you want to try to choose any good occasion that will fall on, on, on that day. Or um, anyone who's been invited to a birthday celebration on Friday the 13th? Anyone? No? Yeah? Oh my goodness. Anyone here who worked in a building on the 13th floor? Almost none in the, in the Southeast Asia has 13 floors on their buildings. It's 12 and then 14, but you know, 14 is 13. Yeah. But, but we know that there's something that is attached to that number 666. The Bible talks about that number almost exclusively. Now, the beast 666, the Antichrist, what do these things mean and why should we care? Let me preface the sermon with a bit of Roman history. I know you like history. This is the inside story or the Tagalog is a chismis to the Roman <laughs> history. Okay? So the Roman Republic, you know, our country is based on that. Our government is based on the Roman Republic. Was originally known to be with the initials SPQR. SPQR stands for Senatus Populus K Romanus. In English, it translates to the Roman Republic should be governed by the people through the Senate. But a general came along by the name of Julius Caesar who wanted to be king. The Senate did not like it, so they assassinated this first ambitious general. On the Ides of March, he was stabbed to death on the Senate floor. The Senate assassinated him, but the people did not like it. And so to make up for that, the Senate deified Caesar, made him divine, made him God. And it, the power was passed on to his nephew by the name of Octavian. Octavian then took on more titles. This is not just Octavian the the successor of Julius Caesar, but he took on three more titles. Number one is, it's very interesting. He took on the title Pontifex Maximus, which means high priest. Another title he took on was Divi Filius, son of God. Another title that he took was Augustus, which means majesty or revered or reverent, but with the religious undertones. So every every title that he took has some connotation of uh, an elevated godhood in that sense. He was liked by the Senate, but then this is the climate when Jesus Christ was born. This Caesar 
Octavian, or known also as Augustus Caesar, was the Caesar was the Caesar when Jesus Christ was born. Um, so imagine this: Caesar having the title of High Priest, Son of God, and Majesty. Same titles that Jesus had. In the Gospels, Jesus is the Son of God. In the book of Hebrews, Jesus is the High Priest. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is Almighty or Majesty. So there's a, an, a very obvious competition here. It's between Jesus and Caesar. Augustus Caesar then died and he was succeeded by Tiberius Caesar. Tiberius adopted every bit of titles that he could find. Do you remember when Jesus was confronted by the religious leaders asking him on the issue of taxation? He said, they said, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus asked them for a coin. The man on the coin or the image on the coin was most likely Tiberius Caesar. And so Jesus said, give unto Caesar, that's Tiberius Caesar, what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. What's interesting is that on the coin there's an inscription that says, Tiberius Caesar Divifilius Augustus TX or Pontifus Maximus. Which means what Jesus is saying here by implication is that if you think that Caesar is God, Son of God, High Priest, and Majesty, give it to him. But if you think that God Yahweh is the real God, then give it to him. It's your choice to give your allegiance to. This is not an issue of taxation. The Jews understood that this was an issue of allegiance. To Caesar and to Caesar, to God, but the Son to God. The darkest time in the Roman history was during the time of the fifth emperor Nero. He was called Nero Caesar. Caesar is the term that they adopted from Julius Caesar, so it's a last name, Nero Caesar. He also adopted the title High Priest, Pontifus Maximus, Divifilius, Son of God, and Majesty Augustus. But the Roman historians like Suetonius and Tacitus wrote about Nero in their history books and portrayed him as the beast. Yes, that's correct, it's the beast. Because at the height of his power, he became so paranoid that people will assassinate him and take on the power. So what he did is unforgivable. He, he orchestrated the assassination of his own mother, his own brother-in-law, his own wife, Octavia. It was rumored that he ordered the assassination and murder of Octavia, his wife, by slitting her wrists and suffocating her during the steam bath. It was also rumored that he kicked his second wife to death while she's pregnant. So the public gave him a title, The Beasts. This is very interesting because the graffitis are all over uh, Rome in public baths, in alleys, and history books of Rome. The Greek word for the beast is therion. Um, so they have this um, wordplay or gematria or gematria. So every letter is given a number. So say for example, the English alphabet A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Every letter has a number, a corresponding number. Roman numerals has that. If you have a a Rolex, or maybe not a Rolex, just an ordinary <laughs> ordinary watch. There's a new Roman numeral that counts the hour, and it's in letters. There's a corresponding letters to it. And so, say for example, A is one, B is two, C is three, and so on and so forth. The Roman numeral, the Greeks, 
would have a gematria where letters are uh, with corresponding numbers. And the word therion for the beast is or amounts to 666. The word Nero Caesar also in Hebrew amounts to 666. It's very interesting. Let me read to you verse 16, chapter 13, verse 16. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who is understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. This is a number of a man, its amount to 666. Now, for this to make sense, the Caesar during the time of, of John, when the book of Revelation was being written, was not Nero. Nero was way past dead during this time. After 10 years, it was Domitian. Domitian was the emperor during this time. Now, Domitian, for, for we know, is the brother of Titus. Titus was the emperor before Domitian. Titus was the one who went to Jerusalem and destroyed the temple in 70 AD. After 10 years, it was Domitian. So it was Nero, and then Vespasian, and then Titus, and then Domitian. Now what's interesting about Domitian is that when his brother Titus died as emperor, he deified his brother, and he, he was not so content with the titles the Caesars already have. So he added another title. So not only Pontifex Maximus, Son of God, and Majesty, he added the fourth title, it's Dominus et Deus in English, it's Lord and God. It's not just Lord and God, but Caesar as in Jupiter and Zeus, Lord and God. As in Yahweh God or Allah God. He wants to be in, the, in that level of God. He wants to be the God. This is the mission. It's very interesting. He went through the process called apotheosis. Apotheosis is when people come and testify that they have seen a Caesar or a person or someone ascended to heaven. It's called apotheosis. But we know that the mission during his time when he was alive have not ascended yet to heaven, but he was deified as God, Dominus et Deus. So we know what is a sham. It's fake news. It's not true. But he took on this title and he took it for himself. So what John is saying in chapter 13 is implying that the mission is like Nero. Let me backtrack a little bit. So Nero was a beast according to the public and Roman history, not just because he murdered his family, but because he heavily persecuted the church, the Christians. So among the church, Nero was the beast. But when after 10 years, the mission came along, he proved to be himself worse than Nero. He spoke like Nero, he talked like Nero, he acted like Nero in the persecution of the church. And so the church, would look, look on what he did and look at him as the beasts. This is very interesting. There's another, another coin or, or phrase that amounts to the beast. So in Roman numeral, it's D-C-L-X-V-I. And it amounts to 666. But the church, according to some scholars, would interpret that uh, Roman numerals to be Dominus Caesar Legatus K 
key violent interface. In English, it means the Emperor Domitian violently killed ambassadors of Christ. So to the church, the mission is the beast, or is the new beast. Let me read to you chapter 12, verse 17, in the following. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So it's the dragon. The dragon last week was Satan. And then as he stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Now, hang on for a second. So the dragon is at the beach looking at the sea, and he's summoning the beast from the sea. That's what's happening here. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns, seven heads, ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its head. What's happening here? We know that the dragon has the same. The dragon has the same seven heads, ten horns, and ten diadems, or ten crowns. What he's doing here is he's summoning the beast from his own image, or out of his own image. He's summoning something like him, the beast. It says, the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet like a bear, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power, his throne, and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole world, earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against this? Now, John kept mentioning the beast as if this is really important for us to understand. Now, if this is your first time to hear about this, and you may be asking, is this even relevant to me? The answer to that is yes. Now, consolation is that I'm not going to be preaching on the book of Revelation for the next five years. So this is it. All right. <laughs> I don't want to scare you guys. That's why I'm, I'm going to have to stick on this now and, and let it dwell in our hearts, the message of God today. Let me show you a photo of, of the statues of King Il-sung and King Jong-il. The question is, can, still can this still happen today? Now, North Korea's population is 25 million and counting. And all citizens are required to bow down to the bronze statues of Kim Il-sung and King Jong-il on the pain of imprisonment. If you are, just in case, if you plan to visit North Korea, there's a cheap ticket out there and you plan to go there for you know, a leisure. According to the law, you are required to do the same gesture to bow down in front of the past statues of Kim Jong-il and Kim Il-sung. It almost reminds me of what Nebuchadnezzar did in the time that he erected his own idol and he commanded all Babylon to bow down to his idol. This is the reason why Daniel's three friends got in trouble because they would not bow down to the idol. That's violation number two. You shall not worship idols. Commandments. They're doing it in North Korea. So if you're thinking, is this even relevant to me? Oh yes, it is. Can this happen here in the United States? We just want we just need one person who is so narcissistic and the media will go with him. This guy would be so powerful and so rich, it can happen here. Is this relevant to me? I would say yes. It is so relevant. Last week we talked about the dragon. 
Satan. Satan is called the devil and the oppressor of the church. Now, based on verse 17, Satan is waging a continuous war on the saints, that is the church. Now, make no mistake about it. If you consider yourself a believer in Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, regardless if you're Protestant, Anglican, Greek Orthodox, or Catholic, it doesn't matter. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, Satan's eyes are on you and me. <laughs> it should not be on you and also on me. This is, this is serious. If you consider yourself a follower of Christ, Satan's eye is on you. There's a war that's going on and is waging a war, a very serious war on the church. If you feel that your faith in Jesus Christ is what gives you purpose and significance, then I would say, let the games begin. Chapter 12 ends with the dragon standing on the beach summoning the beast as if he is creating the beast after his own image. This is a parody of creation. So in Genesis chapter 2, God formed Adam from the ground and then he breathed into him the breath of life. The, the dragon is doing the same thing. On the beach, he was summoning the beast after his own likeness. Seven heads, ten horns, ten crowns. Looks like him. But at this point, the dragon is the sea serpent. Remember that last time? The dragon is the sea serpent, the twisting serpent. He came also from the sea. This is the same serpent that God destroyed when Israel crossed the Red Sea. We read that from Isaiah and also from Psalms. He's summoning the beast after his own likeness. But this beast looks like a Frankenstein combination of a leopard, a bear, and a lion. This gives us an impression that this beast is an apex predator. And as a result of that, both the dragon and the beast were worshipped by the people. When the people saw the beast, they said in verse 4, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? Now, this is nothing more than another parody of the worship of Yahweh. The beast is trying to take God's glory for himself. He wants to elevate himself as the God, just like the mission, having the title Dominus et Deus. Now, remember when Moses and the people of Israel escaped Egypt, they went through the Red Sea, right across, right after they crossed the Red Sea, Moses created a new song. It's a, a very long poetry and song in Exodus chapter 15. But there's one line that sticks in verse 11. It says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? This is the same thing that people said to the beast. Who is like the beast? And who can fight against this? The people are giving adulation not to God, but to the beasts. Now, if the beast was Nero Caesar, the legend about him makes more sense. After his death in 68, by the way, Nero committed suicide. Everybody deserted him, so he committed suicide. There's a rumor that spread that after his death, Nero will come back to life. It's called Nero Redivivus, or the Resurrection of Nero. It's, it's probably the same rumor that Elvis Presley is still alive. Anyone? <laughs> or Hitler did not really die. He escaped somewhere in Argentina. Or that Michael Jackson was seen somewhere else. It's, it's just rumor. So there was a rumor that spread all over the Roman Empire that Nero would come back to life. Now this makes sense when you read verse 3. 
Revelation 13.3 says, One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. This may refer to the legend of Nero, Redivivus. So after 10 years that he died, Domitian became the emperor and he would do what Nero exactly did. He would take on the titles. He even added the title for him, Dominus et Deus. And he would persecute the church so heavily. So that when John was writing verse 3, he's implying that Domitian is the beast that was resurrected from the dead. It's like Nero all over again. A doppelganger of Nero. Caesar, Domitian. But this reference to the beast cannot be exclusively referred to just one single individual. Why would I say that? Because eventually Nero died, Domitian died, the whole Roman Empire collapsed. Therefore, I would suspect that this beast is not really one single individual. Look at verse 5. It says, And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. 42 months is equivalent to three and a half years or equivalent to 1,260 days. So there's accounting for years, accounting for months, and accounting for days. It's the same thing. All those figures are not literal. They are metaphor for the length of time after Jesus ascended to heaven to his coming or second coming. Not one single individual can live that long. Therefore, I would say that this beast is more than just Nero or Domitian. They are just figures of what is to come. I think behind it is there's only one individual who can live that long and wage a war, a continuous war, against the church, and that's Satan the dragon. But what I find fascinating is in verse 7. Here's verse 7. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. This is what I said. This is why I said that Satan's eye is on us. If you are a follower of Jesus, his eyes are on you. What's disturbing for me is that it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Now, there's a lot of implications there. It says, an authority was given to it every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Who? Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. Here's a definitive and most disturbing claim. There is a book of life. The Bible says so. There's a book of life. The owner of the book of life and the author of the book of life refers to or points to the Lamb that was slain. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, we know that there's only one that was slain. That's Jesus Christ. Is the author of life, is the owner of the book, and is the only one who has access to the book of life. The book of life is real. Just in case, it's just a rumor that it is St. Peter who is at the gates of heaven with the rooster in the book of life. <laughs> it's not true. All right? It's just a legend. St. Peter does not have access to the book of life. Only Jesus has access to the book of life. What this means, though, also, is that this book of life was already completed before the foundation of the world. That means all the names were already entered in the book even before you and I were born. How cool is that? That gives me a guarantee that my going to heaven, that my 
coming to Jesus, that my relationship with Jesus is secure. It does not depend on what I do for God or what I do for Jesus. It depends on the name that was written there because God decides to do so. But the question now is, is your name in there? Uh, talk to me after the service and we can discuss about it. No, no, I don't know the answer to that. I have, don't have access to the book of life whatsoever. See, here's the thing. If your name was written in the book, then the beast is allowed to make war on you and possibly to the extent of killing you physically. But if there's anything that's sure, the Bible says he has no authority over you. Absolutely no authority or no claim over you. This is a common confusion and, and misconception. Anyone seen or experienced or have witnessed in demon possession or exorcism? Anyone? I did also. Cool. There's a rumor that, spreading rumor, that if a person casts out the demon, it might transfer to you. If you're a Christian, it cannot happen. Because there's only one who owns you, and that's Jesus. Satan has no ownership, no authority over you. So this is interesting. His authority extends only to those whose names were not, were not written in the book of life. But how do I know if my name is written in the book? You will have to answer this question. There is one marker to know if your name is written in the book. You do not worship the beast. If you worship the beast, then it's obvious. Your name is not written in the book of life. If you don't worship Jesus, then it's going to be questionable. So some people would say, I don't worship the beast, definitely, but I'm not very sold to the lordship of Jesus. I'm neutral. I'm not Democrat. I'm not Republican. I'm independent. <laughs> Here's the thing. In the Bible, there's no independent. Either Jesus or the beast. That's the only option here. There's another way to know. Revelation 13, 11 to 14. It says, then I saw another beast, this is the second beast, rising out of the earth. It had horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all authority of the first beast in the presence, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound has been healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet live. There's another beast. But this time, it's not the doppelganger of Nero or Tiberius or Domitian. It's the doppelganger of Jesus. Why? Because it looks like the lamb, but it speaks like a dragon. It looks like Jesus or the Lamb because it can also perform signs and wonders, even copy what Elijah did to make fire come down from heaven. Now remember Moses when he confronted Pharaoh, let my people go, remember that? That's in the movie, Ten Commandments. He went to Pharaoh, he said, let my people go, and then he threw his staff on the ground and his staff became serpent. Remember that? But Nero summoned his magicians and did the same thing. They threw their staff, and the, and the staff became serpents. Same thing. They can copy what the prophets did. See, the Chinese are not the only ones who know how to copy. In Exodus, it was already there. Copy. 
Fairies magicians copy. What I'm saying is that whatever you call it, you call it black magic, white magic, purple magic, whatever, it's still magic. The shamans, the witches, the sorcerers, the witch doctors, the arbolarius can also heal. But the question is, whose power? There are groups around the world that mentions the name of Jesus Christ, but whose power really? People, according to this passage, will be deceived into thinking that this beast is to follow because he can do signs. He can back up his words with signs, with miracles. Here's the trick. If the beast claims to be God or the Son of God and thus perform miracles, then it's most likely he is one of the markers of the beasts. I can only think of one person right now. In the Philippines, he claims to be the Son of God, and he claimed to have done miracles. I mean, it's obvious for me. He may not be the beast, but he looks like, thinks like, speaks like the beast. You know what I mean? There are people around the world called Messiahs who have done the same thing, who claims to be God or divine. There's one person in South Korea, by the way, who died already. Uh, his church would would do mass weddings. Very interesting. But he did. He also claimed to have done some miracles. But this beast have done so and people were deceived as a result. How do I know that your name or my name is not written in the book of life? It's if you follow the beast. And I suspect, and I could be wrong on this one, uh, I'm, I'm very willing to apologize if, if I'm not right, but the first beast and the second beasts from the earth are just but one. I think it's Satan, the deceiver. I think it's all about deception. Satan is too narcissistic to even, to even create a competition. The beasts are nothing more than his puppets. He has the only wits to pull the strings, to make people believe that it's not him and it's the beast, that these beasts are, are tamed, are wise, are smart, can make miracles. But behind that, I think it's him. Listen to verse 16, Revelation 13, 16. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he is the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who is understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Now, what is this mark? Some say that this mark is the nine-digit nine social security number. We all have that here. Others say that it's the barcode at the back of your credit cards. Still others would say that sooner or later, there will be microchips that will be implanted in our hands. It's, it's done somewhere in Europe. Well, at the height of the pandemic, some people I know decided not to be vaccinated because they believed that it was the rehearsal for the mass marking of the beast, giving of the mark of the beasts. But what's this mark? How do I receive this mark? Allow me to explain. When Israel was in the wilderness, God gave Moses and Aaron a very specific prayer. This is a very special prayer. And when done this prayer, when the prayer is uttered and God is summoned, God binds himself 
to bless the people of Israel and to give them his promises. The prayer goes like this in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Three times the name of the Lord is invoked. We know what, what that means in the Old Testament. Three times. When you read your Bible and you see, you see it, all capitals, L-O-R-D, it's the English translation of the proper name of God, Yahweh. The English translators revered the name of God so much that they did not put Yahweh, they put L-O-R-D. This prayer, though, has no intrinsic or inherent power. It doesn't mean that anyone who prays this kind of prayer will get healed. Or anyone who prays this prayer, prayers will be answered. It doesn't work that way. You must have a relationship with God. You must be authorized to pray this kind of prayer. So that's only the high priest who's authorized to pray or to summon God through this prayer. Just like you know, when Jesus gave a pattern to his disciples, pray this way, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Lord's Prayer is the equivalent of that prayer in Numbers chapter 6. Now what that means is that when the people of Israel summons God's name, God binds himself to that kind of prayer. But what's interesting here is at what's at the bottom of that prayer. In verse 27 it says, So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. What does it mean for God to say, I shall put my name upon the people of Israel? See, the marking of God to the people of Israel, the way he puts his name on the people of Israel, is not literal, it's not physical, it's spiritual. When the high priest summons the name of God, God marks the people of Israel. By the way, it only happens once a year. God marks the people of Israel. Whenever the benediction happens, the sacred name of God is summoned, Yahweh, and God places his ownership on the people. God, therefore, is the only one who can see who are his. It's an invisible kind of mark. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 11 says this. God said to Moses and Aaron, You shall therefore lay these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you sh they shall be as frontless between your eyes. Now, the Jews took this literally, so they literally put a piece of Bible on their foreheads and a bind on their arms. But it should be taken metaphorically, not literally, as in, your right hand is the one that you use to swear, correct? It's what you use to act. It's not really in the Hebrew, it's not really in your heart and in your mind. This is one. When God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, it's one. It's in here. So the word of God should be resting here and in your hand. It's, it's an invisible kind of mark, it's a spiritual kind of mark. What this means is that the commands of God, including the blessings that go with this, with this name, must reside in the hearts and the soul of the people. This means the mark, or those who have the mark, must give their full devotion to God and full commitment to the Lordship of Yahweh. That's why Jesus said, give to Caesar what to Caesar, or to God what's to God. Full devotion, full obedience. Now, to have the mark of the beast is the same thing. The mark of the beast is not literal or it's not physical. The mark of the beast is to be fully devoted to the worship of the beast 
and absolute submission and obedience to its will. For the mark of the beast to work, it must be voluntary. People will have to choose. You cannot get tricked on this one. There's no trick. You know up front that you are following the beasts because there will be a choice in front of you. In fact, this choice will also be forced on you. The Bible said you cannot be you cannot buy or sell or transact if you do not have the mark of the beast. So the people will bite the bullet and take this mark for themselves. I was thinking about this during this week, and I'm thinking during the time of the mission, the Roman coins bear the image of Caesars with the complete inscription of Augustus, Son of God, Lord and God, Dominus of Deus, or Majesty, etc., etc. The coin bears the image of Caesar. And that means people voluntarily use the coin to transact, to buy or to sell. And this is the reason why in the temple courts, the Jews will have to exchange the coins. You cannot bring the coins bearing the image of Caesar. They must exchange it to another coin, the Jewish coin. This is the reason why Jesus also uh, told these people to get out of the temple and cleanse the temple. There's so much that's going on inside the temple. But if you use this coin bearing the mark of Caesar, it signifies allegiance. It's no wonder why Jesus disagreed with the people of Israel during that time. Again, to bear the image of, of the beast, the mark of the beast, is to use the coin in the time of Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is that the future may be different, but the principle is still the same. People will have to use it voluntarily. And what I'm saying is that there are many ways to compromise. There are many forms to give our allegiance and absolute obedience to the beasts. Or to anyone who claims to be God and claims to be antagonistic to the real God or to Jesus Christ. The beast will always oppress the people of God, the church. Now here's the thing. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, a serious follower, not just lip service, a serious follower of Jesus, you have been marked with God. Your name is written in the book of life. How do we, how do we make sure? The more passionate you are, the more you will know. Because the more, the, the lazier you become, the more you go away from the church, the less you become sure about your place in the kingdom of God. We're talking about absolute obedience, absolute commitment. There's no middle ground. You have to choose between Jesus or the dragon. If this is you, then John's final word to you is in verse 10. He said, if anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword must he be slain. Here's a call for endurance and faith of the saints. That means God has allowed the church to be persecuted even to the extent of death. God allowed it. And we are called to endure as a church. It's not supposed to scare us or to make us paranoid about tattoos and microchips and barcodes. It doesn't mean that we have to be scared. The real mark of the beasts will be on the hearts and the minds of people who subscribe to follow the beast and not Jesus Christ. 
And so right now, what I'm saying is that it doesn't matter regardless if you are a Catholic, a Protestant, an Anglican, or an Orthodox. It doesn't matter. What matters is, do you follow Jesus or do you follow the beast? To follow the beast means anyone who claims that Jesus Christ is not Lord. That is the mark of the beasts. To whom will you give your allegiance? See, during the time of Jesus, it's Caesar or Jesus. During the Second World War, it's Hitler or Jesus. In North Korea, it's King Jong-il or Jesus. There's no middle ground in here. So I'm going to challenge you today, and maybe you'll say, I need time to think about it. I'm not sold to the beast. I'm definitely not following him, but I'm not sold to Jesus Christ as well. I have too much to lose. What about my dreams? What about my career? What about my future? Because Jesus seems to be asking a lot. He said, if anyone wants to follow me, pick up his cross and follow me. Deny himself. That's a lot to give up. And you're maybe probably saying, what about my wants, my desires? I'm going to go after my desire first before I follow Jesus Christ. You know, the thing is that we don't know that when our time is coming up. We don't know when he's coming back. What I'm saying is that there's no time to lose. If Jesus Christ is the real Son of God, the real Majesty, the real High Priest, then He deserves to have your full devotion. If you say, I'm not gonna decide right now, that is a trick. You know why? Because when we are pulled towards what we want, it's not, it's not that we are pulled toward what we, what we want. It's what we are pulled to away from Jesus Christ. See, this is the same trick that Satan pulled on Jesus Christ. After 40 days and 40 nights, after the, the fasting, he, Jesus was brought to the peak of the mountain, and Satan told him, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world, anything that your heart desires, if you but bow down and worship me. Just one second, bend your knee, and say, Satan, I worship you. Jesus knew the trick. What that means for Jesus is that he doesn't have to die on the cross. What that means for Jesus Christ is that he will not have to be persecuted by his own kin. What that means for Jesus Christ is that he will not be mocked. This like a shortcut to glory. And see, we Christians are getting tricked also. If, if you're not decided right now, this is a trick. Because not to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and God is to accept the trick of the enemy to pursue the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. This is the challenge that we have today. Do not get tricked. We have to be smart on this one. This is why I believe the beasts, whether the first or the second, is just a means to an end. Satan is the one who controls everything. He will trick, he will mock, he will do anything possible within his power to trick you, to bring you to his side, because that would mean he won over you. You gotta make a choice. And you gotta make a conscious choice. You see, God doesn't want your opinion. God wants your conviction. Opinion is something you believe. Conviction is something you believe and you're willing to die for. Conviction is what God demands from us who believe that Jesus Christ is both Lord and God. See, the enemy may also scare us by saying that that he will persecute us. 
to the point that he will do everything in his power to take away the life that we have from us. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is the author of life. If your name is written in the book of life, there's no erasure whatsoever that will happen. God will not change his mind. It's in it. It's done. It's written from the book of life from the beginning, from the foundation of the world. That's the reason why Jesus was portrayed as the lamb that was slain. It's a reminder of what Jesus did for you and for me. Make your decision today. Let's pray. If you feel the urge to make a choice today, if you have the urge to renew your church today with your heart and with full conviction, say this prayer, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. You are the true Son of God. You are the true Messiah. You are the Lamb that was slain so I could be forgiven from my sins. I submit to your will. I will follow you. Please have your way in me. Amen.